Good morning. We're starting a new message series. We're going to work our way through the book of Philippians. Um, let me start by asking you a question. What do you think about when you think about joy? If you were to take pictures of joy, put the pictures in a book, what kind of pictures would you have? Think about your book. Flip in the pages. What would I see? Um, kids' faces when they open Christmas presents. Sure. Sitting down and catching up with loved ones over a good meal. Sure, there'll be pictures of family and gatherings. Um, some of us are different, not so much relational, but task. Some of you, it would be being able to look back on 2016 and see goals that have been accomplished. That would be joyful. Or uh, thinking about 2017, objectives and then beginning to systematically cross them off your list. Uh, whatever it be, if it's more relational or more task, all of us have images of joy, things that we can think about. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi has the theme of joy running through it. But when we see the conditions that he's in, we are surprised by joy. He is imprisoned in Rome and separated from those he cares about. He doesn't have the opportunity to be surrounded by the people he would like to be surrounded by. He's not in a place that he would like to be living in. He's in a prison, and he knows that he's probably going to make his way towards Rome, and he is not going to like what he experiences there. Um, he's sitting alone while the churches that he's planted are being attacked. People are taking advantage of the fact that Paul is out of the way, and they are moving into the places that he has had influence, and they are pulling his church away from him, and they are succeeding in doing so. And he's languishing in a cell, not able to exert and bring the kind of influence that would protect them. He sees them as sheep. He sees himself as a shepherd. If It's a very difficult thing to be in a position to offer help and not being able to do so. He sees the need. He understands exactly what's happening. He knows what could be said, what should be said, and, and yet he's limited in his ability to do so. Um, and yet, in light of these things, joy is the theme of the letter, he writes. That's the theme of Philippians. Uh, he writes that from prison. Um, in order to answer the question, why is this man smiling, let's talk about the history of Paul's relationship with the Philippians. Let me just go and just give you a sense for what's occurred and, and what happened and what brings him to this place where he writes this letter in such desperate circumstances and he's smiling as he dictates it and does so. In about 50, 51 AD, in obedience to a vision, Paul left the Middle East and set sail for what is now Europe. And this was a, he did this in obedience to a vision. Somebody impelling him to come, and he changed directions and did so. His first stop was the Roman colony of Philippi. He was 
walking into that city, came to a river. There's some women who were dealers of cloth, and they were baptizing cloth in this river, and he talked to them about Jesus, and they all responded. I like the image because it gives us an image of baptism, what they did then with in those days. If you were bapt- if you would die in cloth, you would literally, the word for die, to immerse is baptize. So if you have a white cloth, you would take a pail of maybe purple, and you would baptize the cloth into the purple. And it was white. You baptized it, immersed it into, and it comes out purple. And for Paul, that's a great image of Christian baptism. You start out uninfluenced, but then you are baptized or identified into Jesus Christ. His death, resurrection, and ascension. So what does that mean? If you, well, say this this white cloth, right? This white cloth, it goes in and it comes out and it has the elements of what it was baptized into. It comes out purple. What happens when you're baptized into Jesus? That is the image of being a son or daughter of God. Well, what's true of Jesus is true of you. Okay, what's true of Jesus? Is there anything Jesus can do to be closer to the Father? Anything Jesus can do to be closer to the Father? If you're baptized into Jesus, is there anything you can do to be closer to the Father? No, what's true of Jesus becomes true of you. Um, Anything Jesus can do to be more loved by the Father? If you are baptized or identified into Jesus, is there anything you can do to be more loved by the Father? Yeah, you got it, you got it? Baptism is a great image. It's a great image. Being on an enmity with God, but in Christ being put into a place where what's true of Jesus becomes true of you. Anyways, so Paul ends up, these end up being his first converts in Philippi. Um, Paul has others that are there. Timothy is here with him, young Timothy. He, he hasn't been with Paul for long, but he really ends up becoming somebody, the Philippians. In fact, later on, they send something we'll talk about, and they said, could you send Timothy back? If, if you're in jail, could you spare Timothy? He, at early on, became somebody that this church really liked. They felt good about Paul and good about Timothy. They cared deeply about them. Um, Paul's experience in the city was not great. It was, Paul doesn't do a lot of things with exorcisms. He doesn't really focus on Satan that much. He, he believes, he believes, but with Paul's deal, the problem is law and moving from an old to a new covenant understanding. He talks about the spirit and the flesh. And, and so Paul, when he talks about what, where the danger is, he doesn't point outside of ourselves. He points inside to our beliefs. What do we believe about God? What do we believe about how God looks at us? Do we understand that he sees us in Christ-colored glasses? That's what Paul said would be good. Do you understand that you've been, through faith in Christ, you're baptized into Christ? That's, Paul understands that understanding that is, is the real deal. Um, there was a, a woman, though, who um, was a person who... Uh, 
told fortunes. We don't understand what her exact capacity was. Anyways, so she walked around after Paul, and these are servants of the Most High God. And, and Paul kind of tolerates that for a day, and then he gets up and walking through Philippi again. These are servants of the Most High God. And this is the only time I, I'm aware Paul says, I adjure you in the name of Jesus, come out of him, come out of her. And he rebukes this. And that's not a great thing because there were people making money on her. What they would do, they would bring individuals. And so why do I say this? Because this turned in, turned out good for Paul. They they created a hubbub and they, they had Paul and Silas, I believe, stripped and beaten with rods. And they've suffered many blows. And this was the beginning of what's very odd about Paul. Um, they put him in prison in Philippi. And he and Silas, I believe, might be Barnabas, are singing hymns. And all of a sudden, what ends up happening? Everybody's manacles start to fall off. It's miraculous. It's just there's an earthquake and, and, is, and, and all the prison doors open up. And so there's this thing. And so the jailer sees this happening, and he's ready to, to end his life because it's better he does it than they're going to do it. And Paul says, hey, no, we're still here. And he said, what? And so they talked to him about Jesus, and he becomes one of the second converts in Philippi, the jailer. And then a movement of people within Philippi start to join this congregation. Um, they come to Paul and those who beat him, understanding the miracles. Paul said, did I forget to mention that I'm a Roman citizen? And so they said, would you please kindly, sir, leave <laughs> if, it's, if it's no trouble? And they, Paul ends up leaving, and he heads west, um, puts Luke in charge, Dr. Luke, Gentile doctor. He puts him in charge of the congregation. Stay with these people. Paul would never influence somebody to follow Christ and not leave somebody there who could teach the truth about who Jesus is. So he left Luke there with him. And, during his, and he ends up moving, and during a uh, stay in Corinth, when this church learns that Paul has needs. They said they send things to Paul. They send him money. They send him goods. Um, about a year later, after he left uh, Corinth, um, he goes on another, well, his third of three trips. He took three trips, and he goes on a third missionary journey. And the, re the thing he wants to do, he wants to go to every church that he has planted, and he wants to have a collection. And this is what he wants to do. He wants to take this money and bring it to the poor Jewish Christians that live in Jerusalem and Judea. They are having a terrible time of things. If you are a Jew at that time and you have invited, you have become a Christian, you've been baptized, uh, you were not allowed back into the synagogue. You lost your job. You lost your livelihood. You lost your neighborhood. You, you really weren't in good shape. And so Paul uh, people thought that he was anti-Jewish because he talked about, no, it's not about the Mosaic Law anymore. There's a new covenant. He was very clear. He wasn't anti-Jewish. He just knew that that's not the way you please God anymore. You don't do the Ten Commandments in order to like God. That was an old covenant. And if you think that God loves you more because you're keeping the commandments, it's off by a covenant. 
We've gone from an old to a new. Paul was very clear about that, but he was not anti-Jewish. So what he wanted to do, because he had a very deep heart, so he went from church to church um, doing this offering, and as soon as the Philippians heard it, they didn't have money. And they said, we, we really want to be involved in that. So they collected an offering at Philippi, and they said, could you put in this? And what we'll see, this is Christian giving. We'll talk about it. Christian giving is free will and face-driven. What happens, they weren't compelled to give. He didn't force them to give. What he did, he painted a picture of what's happening in Jerusalem to Jewish Christians. And then they, they, they got, well, they didn't make checks, but they wanted to give because they could see the suffering faces. And they wanted to be part of relieving the desperate straits of their brothers and sisters who are Jewish who lived in Israel. Um, they, Paul wanted to create a way for people to show concrete love for others, and so he raised this contribution. Uh, they're in financial straits. Philippians want to have a part of it. Paul completed the project, eventually brought the offering to Jerusalem, and he presented it to the church when he was at Jerusalem, they, those who opposed him were able to stir things up and put him in prison. So he was put in prison in Jerusalem and waiting to be dealt with by the Roman government. And guess who hears about it? The Philippians. And guess what they do? They collect another offering. They want to help. They, they feel a part of what Paul's doing. And when they understand that he's in trouble, it's not just a matter of obligation. It's free will. You know what they really felt for him? No joke. They loved him. And when he talked about who God was, there was something personal about it because their relationship with him was very personal. And so they wanted to be a part of what he was doing. Paul appealed to the emperor, and they said, okay, you're going to go to the emperor. And so then they put him on a boat, and he went to appear before the emperor in Rome. And within a few months, uh, the Philippians became aware of where Paul is, and guess what they did? Does he need anything? And they find out he does. And so they take up another offering, and but there's not another offering. With them, it's, I want to help. I believe in what he does. I believe in the message he speaks. I believe in what he's doing, and I want to be part of it. And so that's what they did. Their offering was a God-given blessing, and Paul received it as such, and he wanted to know, I wonder what I do with this. What do I do in a case like this? You know what he ended up doing? I know what I'll do. I'll write a letter. I want these people to know not only how important this work is, but how much I appreciate their partnership with me. They're a part of what I'm doing. I could not do what I do without partnership, people participating with me. That's the way Paul saw it. If you have your worship folder, look. Let's see the way he starts this letter off. It's the, in the Bible, the book of Philippians. These books were letters. That's what they are. And God caused them to be preserved and recorded. We're able to have them 2,000 years later. 
unbelievable privilege that God provides for us that we can be in the mind of Paul. We have access to what he was thinking, what he was feeling, what he was seeing. He is our apostle. Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles. He is the one that God commissioned to help us understand how we need to look at him. That's why God commissioned Paul to do what he does. Let's see what he says, Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. When you did a letter in those days, you began with the name of the sender, then the addressee, and it was followed by a greeting. Paul is the sender to the uh, saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. They are the addressees. Uh, the overseers and deacons are specifically pointed out, I think, because they are the ones probably that instituted this gift, and he wants to, uh, to give special mention to them. Um, frequently, it's followed by a Thanksgiving section, and you say, well, Paul, to you, and we signed it at the end of a letter. They signed it at the beginning, just the way they did things. Um, Paul commends them for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word partnership is the word from which we get the word fellowship. It can mean a number of things, people being together, having a meal. Um, but in this context, when it's talking about these kind of things, it seems to have the sense of somebody helping and aiding him in his ministry. And when it comes to the Philippians, he's thinking of all the times where he's in a place that he can't, do what he did, make tens to earn a living, and they hear about it, and they send him things so that he can continue his ministry. That's the partnership that it's talking about here. Paul's gratitude flows from an appreciation of their consistent support of his ministry and care for his needs. From the very beginning, through his imprisonments to the end, they were always the ones that he could count on, even when he wasn't expecting it to provide for his needs. Paul saw their giving as a means of partnership. It's a means of partnership. When it comes to giving, which is what we're talking about, um, why is much more important than how much, biblically. Um, Paul didn't command people. Well, look what it says in the uh, next passage from Second Corinthians. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and what he's doing, he is writing this because they, he had to put a little pressure on them. They weren't like the Philippians. They said, yeah, we'll, 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 we want to be part of it too. And, and Paul waited, waited. And the offering didn't come. Maybe he would say, maybe that offering, yeah, the check's in the mail. It's, yeah, check's in the mail. And so what he ends up having to do, is he ends up having to, you did really well when you wanted to send the gift, but now he has to bring an influence on them to follow up. Do it. Do what you said you'd do, because I'm going to come through that way. I'm on my way to Jerusalem and Judea. If you want your offering to be included, you got to get with it. Listen, listen to what he says. Let's 
Listen to this, how he does this. As you excel in everything, he says, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, in the grace of giving here. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others what your love also is, that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So that was about a year ago. So now, finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. That's pretty graceful, isn't it? What he's doing, he's basically telling them, pony up. You said you were going to get finish it up, but he doesn't put a guilt trip on him. He says, you wanted to do well in giving, follow up, do it. Do what you committed to do. This is how Paul encouraged churches to give that were less committed than the Philippians. Uh, he says this, I do not say this as a command. Paul could have, and you see this in a number of places, that when giving is talked about, it's mandated. It's commanded. It's not seen as being something that you should choose to do. It's something you should do. And when giving is talked about, fog starts to enter the room. Fog. Fog obscures the face of God. Fear. Obligation. Guilt. Get out the checkbook. Because you should, you need to, you ought to. And Paul does not do that when he talks about giving. We talk, I left an article, there's an article in, you might read it, I'm not going to read it. But it talks about tithing. And does God still command us to tithe? That's a good question. God still command us to tithe? Tithing is a part of the Old Covenant. Somebody says you still need to tithe. You can go eh, off by a covenant. Again, the tithe was mandated. The tithe in Israel was amounted to about 25%. Israel was a theocracy. It was a theocracy. God was in charge. So there's no separation between church and state in Israel. None. The police served the ministers, that's kind of scary. <laughs> but that's what, if you were not following through on something, the police were at the ministers, the, their beck and call. I think Travis might need a little reminder. And so they would dispatch car 51, and they would go to Travis, and um, you haven't given us the check. And that's, but we laugh, but there's, no separation between church and state. None. And that's the way it works. So when Paul talked about giving, 
It was not like that. The, the command to tithe died when Jesus did. Isn't that right? What Jesus did, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant. Okay, what about giving now? Does God still want us to give? Yeah, not just how much, but why? Why give? And what Paul would say, let your giving be free will and face-driven. Not something mandated. Something wished because you understand what it's doing, because you understand where it's going. You know what it's accomplishing. You want to accomplish that. And so you take your wallet and you open it up and you write the check because this is the kind of thing I want to see happen. The reason why they gave to Paul is they knew his message. They knew him. They knew what was going to happen with this. They didn't send something out to something they weren't aware of. They were giving to a face to Paul because they knew what he would say. And they gave to the people in Jerusalem. They gave to a face. The readiness is there as acceptable, not according to what a person has, but according to what he does not have. Paul didn't do faith pledges. He didn't say pick an amount and then trust God to bring it in. Not according to what you don't have, what you do. So he's saying finish the work. I'm coming by. I'm going to bring the offering. Join me. Partner with me. That's what they did. That's the way giving is. Motive is everything biblically. It's everything. And that's what Paul, why Paul was so, well, even in prison, he thinks about what is motivating these people. He sees their faces. He understands that they care for him. They express this care tangibly in providing things for him so he can keep the work. And so he thinks about them. And even when he's in prison, their faces come before his eyes. And what does he do? What does he do? He starts to smile. Joy. Thinks about them. Knows they're on the same team. Uh, motive of partnership, Philippians 1, 6-7. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The motive of giving is clear. Um, I have you in my heart. Really, it could either be, and I'm not sure which one I think it is, I have you in my heart, or you have me in your heart. It could be translated either way. It's right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart. That's the way the English Standard Version, the way most versions put it. It also could be, it's right for me to feel this way about you, because you have me in your heart. I think it could well be that. And why would he know that they have him in their heart? He remembers 
when I was in Corinth, and they sent. And I was in Jerusalem, and I remember they sent. And I was in Rome, and they sent Epaphroditus with the gift, and I remember that they sent. They sent. They didn't send because they had to. They sent, it be- they sent because they wanted to. They sent because they had me in their heart. Um, that's the motive. This is Christian giving on the far side of the cross, um, free will and face driven. Uh, the, the character of New Testament giving, uncoerced concern. Uncoerced. If it's forced, no, no. Got to be something willed. And again, you're saying, and again, there's, there's a really good story like this. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, remember that story? It's in the days of the early church. And uh, what's happening, Barnabas, who was in the companion of Paul, uh, had land. He had been a Christian for a while. So he decides he's going to sell the proceeds. He's going to sell this land and bring the proceeds the meeting that they have. And so what ends up happening, Peter is is the one in charge, and um, Barnabas comes with this thing, with this money. You know, I had some land, and here's the money. And I want you to divide it among the church wherever it has needs. In fact, um, Barnabas had his name changed at some point. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And it might be because of something like that. Look at Barnaby. That's great. That, that's, isn't that encouraging? Let's call him son of encouragement. Yeah, it's a great name for him. And Ananias and Sapphira was, were there, and they were watching. And, hey, boy, did you see the way they looked at Barnabas? We have land. Huh. Maybe if we did that, maybe we'd get a new name too. Well, that'd be kind of cool. Ananias is kind of stiff. Barnabas sounds better. Uh, anyways, they, but what they what they can't do, they can't sell it because their heart is wrapped around it. And so what they end up doing is saying, well, tell you what, let's do this. Let's sell it. Let's pocket part of the proceeds and let's give most of the price. Right? Most of the price and but we'll say we gave it all, and you know the church will be better off, and maybe we'll get that new name. Anyway, so they end up doing it. Both Ananias and Sapphira does, and they're both struck down and killed. So let that be a lesson to you. Let's let's pray. Hey, God, thank you. Now, <laughs> you know when you think of it, though, for real, um, what was the problem with that? couple problems. If they had come up to Peter and said, look, man, you know what? I just saw what Barnabas did, and I'd love to be in a position to do something like that. But to tell you the truth, Peter, I can't give all the proceeds of the land because I still have too much of my security rooted in it. I just, and Peter would say, hey, let me tell you about Barnabas. He has a bigger heart because he's been in the family longer. You be gentle with yourself. You keep coming back. Your heart will become bigger. You'll be able to free will, face-driven, give more and more. You're a little kid in the faith. That's okay. 
It's okay. Keep coming back. You grow up. Your heart will grow up. I think that might be what have happened if they had told the truth. Good, isn't it? God understands that the benefit of ongoing involvement is if you're hearing the, the right stuff, your heart becomes bigger. Your ability to want to do things grows slowly, gradually, over time. If you've been walking with him longer, you're going, again, you've, there's a greater freedom that develops. If you're young, don't blow yourself up that you can't give this, that, or the other. Keep coming back. The way God does it, he changes what you get joy in. But you get joy in. J.C. talked about it. And it's really true. The more you understand the good news, the more you want people to know it. That's true. It's true. When the Bible becomes good news, it's something, no joke that you actually start to want to tell someone. Now, again, I hear this because many of us grew up and the gospel was called good news, but was it good news? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's what Jason was talking about, that when you allow the good news to be the good news, it works in a counseling setting. You end up telling people things that, you're kidding me. Is that what God's face is like? Yeah, that's what his face is. How come I never heard that? I don't know. Well, if that's true, then, if that's true, then, maybe, maybe I could learn not to be as anxious. Jay, is that the way it works? I'm not going to walk on water, but maybe slowly I can be a little gentler with myself if God's gentle with me. I can be a little gentler with others. Yeah. Little by little, bit by bit. That's the way it goes. Um, Paul says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, how you become a cheerful giver? It takes time. You can't force it. You can't push and prod and goad and guilt. and Well, you can't fog it, can you? can't fog somebody in being a cheerful giver. Uh, Paul gives a, and that's one thing he gets joy about. Another thing Paul gets joy about quickly is that he knows that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion. See, what's happening in Philippi, it's not only financially challenging, but the church is starting to experience tension. People are moving in who are putting a heavier load on the church, and they aren't mature enough to know how to separate what's true from what isn't. They get confused. You understand what that feels like, don't you? Where you hear one message one place and another message another place, and you start, well, and then it feels kind of, I'm confused, and, and that's what's happening with this church, and they're starting to bite their fingernails, and, and they're thinking, I wonder if Paul will ever come back, and, and they sent Epaphroditus with the gift, but Paul didn't send Epaphroditus. He sent Epaphroditus back because he needed Timothy, and, and they wanted Timothy, and they're starting to get a little bit frightened. And they're wondering, I wonder if we're going to be able to keep this up. It was really different when Paul was out of prison. 
But now Paul's in prison, and a lot of our faith is tied up in him. And so what Paul wants to do is, well, what he does is, hey, hey, be still. And what Paul says, listen, listen. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. This goes for monetary gifts, going to Jerusalem. God's the one that creates the desire and moves it to completion. It's about the success of the church in Philippi. There's all kinds of people coming in, Paul. I don't know what we're going to do. Hey, calm down. Calm down. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. He began it. God always finishes what he begins. He always finishes what he begins. All right, Paul? Yeah, that's right. Okay. If I believe that, maybe, well, is that good news for you? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What what would happen if you believe that? What would happen if you believe that? See, good news can't really benefit you until you believe it. Your growth is in his hand. What would happen if you believed that? I dare say you would be much gentler and less harsh with yourself. Would you agree? I would, I would dare say there would be less fog in your relationship with God, less fear, obligation, and guilt. I dare say you'd, I think it would help you grow a bigger heart. The fact is, what God in Christ calls us to is very challenging. What he'll tell you, I'm going to ask you to set your agenda aside and support my agenda, which is I want the good news to go out. And when it goes out, those who reproduce the good news have the scars to show for it. And Paul would say that and Timothy, but what he, but it's as well, you need to know that when you're in the battle, when you're in the fray, some of you understand the fray, don't you? You understand the battle, you understand the conflict. What Paul says, listen, be still. But look at my, but, but he said, but what? He who began a good work will bring it to completion. Make room for that. Make room for it. Nice thing about the Philippians, they were willing to support Paul even when he was non-productive. Non-productive. You know what Paul did in prison? And we decided to do? If I can't be there, I'm going to write letters. 
Paul never dreamed that we would be scrutinizing his letters two millennia later. Never dreamed of it. Well, uh, would you be quiet out there? I'm writing the Bible for crying out loud. <laughs> no idea. No idea. You have no idea what God is and will do in and through somebody who gives their life to him and believes what he says. No idea. Um, Philippians had no idea that when Paul was talked about, their names would be brought up as well as partners with him. Okay, partnerships. A number of different ways that we do partnership. Giving is one way. Um, the table is another one. We participate. This picture is about the blood and body of Jesus and via him coming are being identified with him so that what is true of Jesus is true of us. That's something to celebrate, isn't it? Something to think about. God relates to you the way he relates to his son. Now, he doesn't see you perfect, but that the love he has for his son, he has for you. The love he has for his son, he has for you. The love he has for his son, he has for you. You're saying, well, why? Maybe you can start to believe that. Make room for it. That's what communion's about. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that you could be his part of his forever family. That's what I want you to do as you go to the table. Think about that. Think about what's true of Jesus being true of you because he died for you and you are identified with him. And uh, when you come back, come back to the table, take the bread, take the juice, and think about being loved by somebody who always finishes what he starts. Dear Father, just want to say thank you for what you've done. We want to say thank you for the gospel as it is, the, the gospel that brings life, the gospel that brings rest, the gospel that is for the broken and the weary. We, I ask that you would help us to stand in and remain in the belief that you really will finish the thing you've started and that you love us as you have put stuff in us that you will finish. Help us to believe that. Help us to hold on to that and that you will be gentle with us and that we can be gentle with ourselves and with those we love. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.